Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Father, you are here always with us, we are here. May we be here together now. In the name of Jesus Christ, your only Son. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, St. Mikey's. I'm going to sit. So, um, you come to a worship service, like this morning, and you will hear a lot of Christianese. Christianese. Particular words, terms, idioms, and expressions associated with Christianity. It's like a whole other language. (laughs) Now, you may be familiar with the language because you've heard it and you used it your whole life, or it might be entirely new to you. It doesn't really matter because most of us throw this language around without much thought anyway. We have all types of terms. Faith, grace, mercy, kingdom, Blessing, righteousness, holiness, all types of stuff. Maybe you know what those terms mean. Maybe you think you know what they mean. Maybe you have no idea, but you use it anyway. One of these terms is glory. Can everybody say with me, glory. 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 This term and idea is all over the place in Scripture both Old and New Testament, and you for reading John's Gospel, like our passage today, you cannot run from it. It is everywhere. He speaks about glory more than any other Gospel writer. So what is it? What does glory actually mean? What does it mean to glorify or to be glorified? I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I knew what it meant. Because I didn't. So in Scripture, in the Bible, the idea of glory is used in multiple ways. In its most literal sense, it means heft or weightiness. So, for example, before any of you knew me, I was a much larger man. I used to eat six bagel sandwiches just for breakfast, just to get started. My mom used to call me husky. She was being nice. I had some glory. Does anybody want to get rid of some unwanted glory? I'm in the process of trying to trim up some glory. Well, if it's taken a long time, you're looking in the mirror and things are a little tight, you're not fat. You're glorious. You're glorious. Physical weight. But most often it's used metaphorically to speak of the weightiness or heft of a person or thing's significance, importance, uh, grandeur, beauty, splendor. It's also used to express the physical embodiment that points to one's importance, significance, reputation, honor, influence, wisdom, etc., Let me paint a picture for you, what that would look like in modern days. Let's say Father Rick retires years from now, 
and as a church, we want to honor him. And so uh, we erect a 12-foot bronze statue of him out in the front yard of the church, main and all. And we would say that that is a physical embodiment that points to what? His character his achievements, his reputation, his impact on society and, and on our lives, his influence, his significance that we believe should be remembered. We would say it is a memorial to him. It memorializes him. The Bible would say it glorifies him. And by making this statue for him, we glorified Father Rick. And then when we're standing in the presence of the statue, we are actually in the presence of Father Rick's glory. Is this making sense? It actually doesn't have to. We'll figure this out when we see Jesus face to face. It's okay. So what about God's glory? What about God's glory? Because the Bible talks a lot about that. We say a lot about that in church. Like, you'll hear it if you already said it several times already. Well, it's layered, of course, but similar. The glory of God can refer to the divine manifestation of God's presence. Well, what does that mean, Greg? That sounds very fancy. Well, it is fancy. It's when God shows up. And when God shows up, his glory is revealed. It is witnessed. It is experienced. Someone said, I heard this week, it's when God goes public. And if people can catch a glimpse of the magnitude, a glimpse, the magnitude of who he is, his significance, his importance, his power, his beauty, his grandeur. And biblical writers have described this phenomenon in different ways, but usually they describe it as some sort of a glow. There's a glow. There's a shine. There's a, uh, an intense, almost blinding brightness. But also, just like Father Rick's statue, something can point to his glory. Scripture speaks of creation, the created order, declaring the glory of God. It points to a transcendent being who is powerful and creative and wise. So it's interesting, though. There's, scripture says that there is something else, something else that points to God's glory. Something very special, something very unique within his creation. And it's not the mountain. And it's not the stars in the sky or, or the vast oceans or beautiful waterfalls or the blue lagoons. All though those are very glorious. It's something else. Do you know what that is? It's you. It's me. It's human beings. See, humans were made to perfectly point to God's glory. The psalmist says that God has crowned us with glory and honor. Humans were made like God's living statues that he sculpted and placed on earth to point and to express his character, his significance, his wisdom, his creativity. But most of all, because I don't think a mountain can do this, to express his love. To express his love, humans were to glorify God 
by serving creation as he serves, being fruitful and creative as he is fruitful and creative, and loving towards him and other living statues as he is loving towards us. They glorify God by being, something that you've heard 5,000 times come out of St. Michael's, who they were created to be. Unique, significant, special in the eyes of God. And yet, as Paul the Apostle says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. What did he mean? We went after our own glory apart from God. We tried to achieve our own significance, our own importance, our own sense of worth to make a name for ourselves apart from God. And therefore, what happened? The human statues were vandalized. As I heard someone say, they were disfigured. They no longer perfectly pointed to the glory of the one who made them. And so God launches his great restoration project to repair the damage of his beautiful artwork, his beautiful statues, to bring us back to our former glory. So fast forward 7,000 years and we come to the moment in John's gospel. Jesus has just witnessed these Gentiles, these Greeks, these non-Jewish people that want to see him. They want to meet with Jesus. And that triggers something in his mind. He realizes that the restoration project is about to move into its final phase. He states the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And his prayer to the Father, he says, Father, glorify your name. Manifest your significance, your importance, your power, your wisdom, your reputation, your beauty, your magnificence, your splendor, your grandeur, all that has been smeared and defaced and defamed throughout human history. Show yourself for who you are. Put on display for all the world to see. Go public. Show everyone what the glory of God is. And the Father responds and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. What did he mean by that? What did he mean by he has already glorified it? Is he talking about the sky? Is he talking about creation? Is he talking about all the times he showed up in the Old Testament stories and there was a brightness or a glow or a pillar of cloud or fire or smoke? Is that what he's talking about? No. He's talking about Jesus. See, as human Jesus points to God's glory, the vocation that all other humans said no to. Where we failed, Jesus succeeded. The Father glorified his name through Jesus, the human being we always have failed to be. It was the human being that was perfectly compassionate and full of justice and kindness and gentleness and mercy and love. But also, he is the actual manifestation of the divine presence. He is God going public because he is God. We say this at Christmas. We read this in the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, became human, took on humanity, not just became a human being. 
He took humanity into himself, and he dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Jesus is glory of God that shows up, the brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven. And now the Father will glorify it again. He will glorify it fully. And what does that glory look like? Well, it doesn't look like a 20-foot bronze statue of an emperor. It's a betrayed, beaten, and denied, and abandoned, and whipped, and spit upon, and bruised, and bloody, broken, naked man. A naked man, not an underwear. Naked. Publicly nude clothed in shame on a Roman imperial cross. The glory of God fully revealed is God crucified in love for a world he created in love who rejected him. Absorbing all the shame, all the sense that there's something wrong with me, that I'm not enough, that I'm inherently defective, all the guilt, all the weight of remorse for the things that I have done and the things that have been done unto me, all the injustice in the world, all the false interpretation of what is good and what is evil that ends up at the exploitation and expense of others. All sin, all our refusal to be who we were created to be. And death itself, an end that God never intended that we brought in. All of that is drawn into the Son of God, Jesus' very body, so that all people of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and color, and race, and shape, and size would be drawn to him. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. And therefore, our glory is restored. But I learned something, or I'm learning it. It's not only that. Jesus came to elevate humanity to a degree they weren't before. Redemption, God's restoration project, is creation 2.0. It's creation on steroids. It's something else. If you read Jesus' high priestly prayers, it's commonly referred to in the Gospel of John, it's 17, in chapter 17. He says this. He says, The glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one. As we, Father, are one. I and them and you and me, Father, that they may become completely one, fully integrated, put back together, restored in their beings, and unified in union with each other and you and I. This is what Jesus says. The glory Jesus is referring to is the glory he shared with the Father before the foundation of the world. That is what he has given us. Adam and Eve got something. I don't think they had this. This is something else. We don't know who we are. So much of our lives are spent, whether we are aware of it or not. I'm learning this to be very true. Trying to prove to ourselves that we are not garbage. It's the futile attempt to achieve our own glory. Trying to prove even if we think we're proving it to others, it's really to ourselves, to that inner voice, that we are important, that we are significant, that we are valuable, that we're not losers, that we're not failures, that we're not a waste of space or time, 
And Jesus calls that futile attempt losing your life. That's what he means. And this can look like, like some aggressive attempt at greatness or perfection, or it can look the exact opposite. Something quiet and meek and undisturbing and undisruptive. It all comes from the same place. It's everything that we do to shut the inner voice up. And some of us have given up on that pursuit. And we've fallen into the lie that, well, you know what? I am garbage. I am dirty. I am filthy. I am broken. I am disgusting. I am a loser. I am a failure. And therefore, I live a life out of that in which I think I am. The truth is that you are so much more than what you think. In a previous sermon, I went rogue. I went off my notes. I didn't even know what I was saying at the time. I was towards the end, I said something like, when, when you walk into a grocery store, a Publix or something like that, I was like, new creation just unleashed. New creation happened in that place. Something changes in the atmosphere. You don't even have to say anything. The atmosphere changes because you're in there. And I said, you are glowing in this world. I didn't know what I was saying. I know now. The glow is the glory of God. You are the glory of God. That's what you are. Because you are in Christ the glory of God. Wrap your mind around that. The glory that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit shared before the foundation of the world has been infused in your very being. If you saw what you look like in the spiritually realm, you would probably worship yourself. That's what you are. That's insane. But it's the truth. And Jesus' invitation is to accept this truth and to awaken to this reality more and more and more and let go of whoever we think we should be or ought to be and live the eternal life, the abundant life Jesus came to give us. Jesus came and died to give us so that we can be who we were created to be, who we were redeemed to be, the glory of God in this world. So the person sitting next to you, when you look at them, you are staring at the glory of God. You are in the presence of the glory of God. And the next time you look at yourself in the mirror, no matter what you think you look like or what you think you are in the inside, tell yourself, listen to the voice of Jesus tell you and remind you that you are the glory of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.